0: It was on the three-year anniversary of my wife's disappearance. The letter fell to the floor, all alone through a mail slot on the front door. It shocked me for a few reasons. First, we hadn't used that thing since we'd bought the house. Never really saw a point. Most of what we got in the mail was supplies for our pottery business, which came in large, awkward boxes. The second thing that caught me off guard was the noise. After years of no use and abuse from the elements, I was sure that thing was rusted shut by this point. But whoever sent that letter through made it work, and it came with a horrible screech, not far from nails on a chalkboard. I'd been in the kitchen, and was in no rush to see anyone, so I brushed it off and focused my attention on the cupcake on the counter. Not only had it been three years since Jasmine's abduction, it was also her birthday, and the day before Halloween. Yeah, October was proving to be an incredibly difficult month for me as of late. What used to be a month filled with cheer and fun dates with Jazz quickly turned into an ill reminder that life can take away what you love the most at any moment. I wish I could have you back, Jazz. It was the same wish every year. Technically, it should have been Jazz making the wish, but seeing as she wasn't here, I didn't think she'd mind signs, if I was the one missing I know she'd do the same for me I gobbled up the cupcake and washed it down with some almond milk before heading to the front door to get whatever was dropped in from the mail slot it was a small envelope one that you'd send a letter in it was a beautiful shade of red, similar to a rose but slightly darker the front just had my name, with no return address or stamp but not just that it was the nickname that Jazz had given me when we first started dating. She'd always said the name Samantha was a mouthful, so she'd call me Sammy most of the time. No one else in my life called me by that, not even our closest friends or my parents. Just Jazz. was beginning to feel my heart flutter a bit. The chances of Jazz just showing up out of the blue one day and dropping a letter to say... Hey, girlie. Sorry I've been MIA for the past three years and caused you immense stress and turmoil. I'm back now. I hope you can forgive me. It wasn't only weird, it was completely unlike her. That's when my mind went to a more terrifying place. What if the person who was responsible for her going missing was now out to get me? Or just tormenting me? I flipped it over to see if there was anything else that could clue me into the identity of who dropped it off. On the back, the envelope was sealed with gold wax, stamped with the initials N-E-H. The initials, I didn't recognize them. They didn't ring a bell or trigger a memory of anyone who was a suspect at the time Jazz went missing. With that said, despite my distrust in the police, I had no one else to go to. All the signs were pointing to this being some kind of coordinated attack or fear tactic. With the chilling up on the three-year anniversary and having my nickname on the front with no return address or stamp, someone deliberately dropped this in my home, and that terrified me. I threw it into my bag, changed out of my pajamas into more decent clothes, and headed out the door with a deep, worried breath. Stepping outside on that day may have been one of the hardest things I'd done in a while. The whole time I was getting dressed, all I could think about was the person who dropped the letter in. Could they still be outside? I thought. What would they do if they found me? Do they know that I'm alone? They have to. How long have they been watching the house? Each question led to another and none of them had answers. I took a quick peek behind my bushes, through the garage, even under my car. Nothing. Perhaps I was being a little paranoid, but it felt justified in the moment. As it turned out, I had every reason to be afraid. Stepping into the police department for the first time in what felt like a decade was a surreal feeling never felt real to me you read about these things happening to normal people but never think what it would feel like to have it happen to you to have the police be a constant presence in your life for years to constantly ask you why and how and where where are you jazz samantha the heavy-set lady at the front debbie called out you okay I didn't realize I'd been standing there, totally still, for a few moments. Her calling my name broke me out of the trance I was in. Oh, yeah, I'm... I'm okay. I lied. Walking up to the counter, I pulled the letter out of my purse, now being careful not to touch it as to contaminate what may be in it. This was dropped off at my house this morning. Debbie put on some gloves and took it from me. I have no idea what it is, or who it's from, or why they gave it to me, but today is three years. I know, Debbie said. Can't believe it's been that long. Debbie and I had kept in fairly constant contact over the years. Outside of work, she was like a second mom to me. Someone I could vent my frustrations and feelings to because she'd lost someone too. Her son had gone missing over twenty years ago. She knew what I was feeling and was able to make the past three years of my life that more bearable. Looking over the envelope, she said, You don't recognize these initials? I shook my head. She looked back down at it, mulling over the letters to see if she could pull something from her mind. Shook her head. Can't say that I do either. With a loud sigh, she pushed her chair back and picked up the phone, calling to someone in the back. Listening in, I could tell the loud, hearty voice coming through was Detective Reed. I need you to pick up some evidence from the front. I think it's related to the Jasmine Bell case. Returning to an empty home is something you'd think I'd be used to by now. But in reality, losing jazz never got any easier. I just learned to deal with it. Recently, I'd made it over two weeks without bursting into tears while thinking about her, but the conversation I had with Detective Reed brought back a concoction of sadness and grief and anger I wasn't ready for. It was one of the hardest conversations I'd ever had. The things that followed made it just that much worse. I made a cup of coffee, despite it being nearly midnight, and sat at the kitchen table, mulling it over in my head. He'd taken me back to an empty interrogation room. Take a seat over there, he said, pointing to a fold-out metal chair. It squeaked as I sat, and I wasn't sure if the craftsmanship would hold up Detective Reed. He was a bigger fellow. He sat across from me, the chair calling out for mercy in a similar way mine did. He placed Jazz's file on the table, followed by the letter I'd given them that morning. Opening it up carefully with letter opener, Detective Reed reached in and pulled out the letter and began reading it aloud. For Miss Samantha Derby, the letter began. It is my pleasure to inform you that the search for Miss Jasmine Bell can be called off. I perked up at that sentence, but Detective Reed held his hand up, reminding me that this could just be a horrible joke. He continued reading. Jasmine Bell is safe and can be found at North Crescent Street. The house number is 1458. At that, I shot up from my chair. We have to go there, now. What if she's alive? What if she's being tortured? The words fell from my mouth a little easier than I was expecting. I suppose I just wanted to put a fire under Detective Reed's ass, and it seemed to work. He told me to hold on a minute while they went and spoke to his supervisor and did some digging into the address. When he came back, my body was vibrating. I couldn't quite tell what I was feeling. There was excitement. There was fear. There was trepidation. What if this was too good to be true, I thought. The look on his face when he came back told me it most likely was. He tossed Jazz's file to the table, and with just barely going over a whisper, he said, 1458 North Crescent is an empty lot. Has been since before Jazz went missing. If this letter is telling the truth of her being there, then I didn't let him finish before I had my head resting on the table, crying my eyes, calling out, Please, please let her be safe. I don't want to be alone anymore. Detective Reed tried to console me. Brought me water, led me through some breathing exercises, and brought my heart rate down to a less dangerous level. What happened next is mostly a blur. I stayed at the police station while Detective Reed and two officers drove down to the empty lot. There were no records of an owner, so searching it wouldn't be a problem. Only they checked miles out into the woods and even used a ground-penetrating radar to run the perimeter of the property in case the worst happened. In case Jazz had been killed and buried. I'd prepared for the worst for the three hours that they were gone. Told myself that it was some sort of sick joke, that it'd be over once they found her remains and I could put her to rest the right way. I'd get closure. Her family would get closure. We'd all still be without her, sure, but at least I wouldn't have to think about that stupid letter again. What Detective Reed ended up telling me was much worse than even the darkest recesses of my mind could muster. They found nothing. No sign of disturbed dirt. There was nothing for miles out in the woods near the property and no hits on G.P.R. I truly don't remember the conversation after that point. I remember hearing the officer speak to Detective Reed about following up her previous owners of the lot, or maybe neighbors, but it all sounded far away. I just closed my eyes and thought of Jazz as I last saw her, heading out the door on her birthday to spend a night with her friends. The costume was so beautiful, too. A pistachio green trumpet gown paired with nude flats and a tiara sitting atop her locks. She was meant to be Princess Tiana, but I always told her she was too beautiful to compare herself to another person. She was a princess all of her own. I just sat there staring at our front door, expecting her to come in at any moment laughing and ready to tell me all about her night and the crazy things she'd gotten into. But of course, it never happened. I went to bed that night, clutching one of Jazz's old shirts to myself. In a strange way, it felt like she was there with me. Finally, I fell asleep, hoping to put the hurt from the day somewhere deep where I could never find it again. As it turns out, I wouldn't be so lucky. The sound of the mail slot woke me up. It was a wretched sound in every sense of the word, and I found myself saying, You're just dreaming. Just wake up. Wake up. But I knew I was already awake as much as I didn't want to be. Pulling myself to my feet, I tried to clear my head. Maybe it was just a note from Detective Reed. Maybe it was another update about Jazz's case. Stepping into the mudroom, I found myself to be a victim of wishful thinking. On the floor, just a few inches from the door, sat a red envelope, the same shade and size of the one I'd received before. I wanted to cry, but my body had nothing left to give. I picked it up, fully intent on ripping it up, burning it, or throwing it into a blender, anything. Anything. But instead, I broke the wax seal on the back and pulled out the letter encased inside. You need to come alone, sweetie. I was so ready to see you again, but you brought that detective and all those officers with you. I need you, and you only. I need you tonight. Even now, I can't explain what came over me. I'm not sure if it was my mind playing tricks on me, but for a moment, no more than half a second, I smelled Jazz's perfume. It was unmistakable. She'd been using it the same bottle our whole relationship, squeezing out every little drop because they discontinued the scent and nothing came close to it. It was her who sent that letter. It had to have been. I walked back to my room, intent on calling Detective Reed and telling him about the letter, but when I picked up my phone, I saw that it was nearly midnight. How long was I standing at the door? I thought. I chalked it up to stress and anxiety, and then took a moment to collect myself and find some more appropriate clothes to put on. It was Halloween night in Michigan, so fuzzy pajama bottoms, slippers, and a tank top wouldn't cut it. After throwing on some jeans, boots, and a nice oversized hoodie, I stepped out of the door. Upon closing it, a small clink sounded behind me. I turned back to see that the five and two had fallen from my door, leaving only a one. I rolled my eyes. Damn, a house has fallen apart, I thought. Thinking nothing more of it, I got into my car, typed in the address of the vacant lot, and began the long drive to 1458. Crescent Street to say I was shocked by what greeted me would be an understatement the police had just been at that lot no more than a few hours ago there was nothing there but now there was a large two story colonial style house decorated appropriately for Halloween paper ghosts hang from the railings along with cobwebs and fake spiders that jiggled around There were cheap tombstones out front which were illegible all across the gutters of the house were orange pumpkin lights blinking on and off bathing the yard in an unsettling orange glow that despite being a warm color gave off nothing more than a coldness I can't quite describe the whole scene although very cheesy gave me an incredible sense of unease why was this here? More importantly, how was this here? Like I said, this had been an empty lot just a few hours ago. There was no way an entire attraction to this magnitude was constructed in a matter of hours. I checked my GPS nearly five times to make sure I was in the right place, and... I was. My train of thought was broken by a sound. A sound I couldn't make out until I finally made my way to the porch of the house. The sound was coming from a man on the porch that had been bound to an old rocking chair and gagged. He looked sweaty despite the cold October air and a stream of blood was rolling down the side of his head. His eyes were wide and crazy as he tried to scream out, his voice muffled. Leave! Leave now and don't come back! Although I couldn't hear the words leave his mouth on account of the gag and hoarse sounding voice made itself known in my head. Or was it behind me? I couldn't tell. I looked around for some other actor or a speaker system but found nothing of the (sighs) sort. Pretty cool trick, I thought. With that, I almost involuntarily opened the front door to the house. I was a little rattled by the man on the porch, but Jazz and I had been to numerous haunted attractions all over the U.S., so I was certain this would be a walk in the park. I found myself standing in front of something akin to a motel front desk. The room was very small and cramped. There was one door behind the desk that I assumed led to an employee's only area, and a hallway to the right which went down a ways and had two doors on the left and three on the right. The front desk itself was littered with papers, clippings from newspapers about young kids who'd gone missing, some people even my age. Looking around to make sure no one was going to see me, I began sifting through them. Kids and teens had all been missing for over ten years and came from all walks of life. The only correlation I saw was that they had all gone missing while visiting a haunted house attraction, one that popped up out of nowhere on Halloween. ...and come November 1st... ...could never be located. The only correlation I saw was that they'd all gone missing while visiting a haunted house attraction. One that popped up out of nowhere... ...on Halloween... ...and come November 1st... ...could never be located. The dedication to the craft was impressive. Whatever company or group put this together must have had it down to a science. Interesting to see where this went... And to see if I could still somehow find jazz in here, I rang the bell at the front desk and called out, "Hello, is someone here? I'd like a room for the night." Moments later, I heard a doorknob turn and a door off in the hallway creak open. This has to be the beginning, I thought, the beginning of the attraction. If it was clever, I'd give them that. Stepping into the hallway, I saw the last door on the right had been pulled open. Of course, that had to be the last door. Long hallways and I didn't get along so well, so making my way down, walking past all the other doors was more unsettling than the actor on the front porch. As I passed each door, I expected a deranged scientist or a possessed doll to jump out and chase me to the end of the hall, but that didn't happen. I made it to the door and pulled it open the rest of the way, revealing the room inside. It was surprisingly well lit for a haunted house and looked empty. The walls were caked in some kind of brown-yellow goo that made the whole room look wet. An odor emanated from the room nearly made me vomit. It was a mixture of a few specific smells. Soil, animal feces, mold, and bile floors were hardwoods, but they were splintered, broken, and had numerous nails poking out from every angle. I patted myself on the back for wearing my Doc Martens and not opting for the converse instead. Against all better judgment, I stepped inside and the door came slamming behind me. Despite my usually being reserved in these situations, I found myself immediately trying the door only to find that it had been locked from the other side. Something about this place felt different than any other haunted attraction I'd been to, and that feeling of dread only grew as I turned back around and saw a chair sitting in the middle of the room. My heart rate tightened a little more. Under the chair was a small note, and it read, Take a seat. I discarded the note, and followed the command on it. I used the word command because I saw no other way out of there. There was only one door in the room, the one I'd come through, and it was locked tight. So I did what the note said and took a seat. The chair squeaked in protest, but once I was settled, the room fell silent again for a moment until a new noise started. Describing the noise would be damn near impossible, but if I had to use a single word, it would be alive. I can't think of a better way to explain it, other than the noise coming from underneath me, under the cracked and splintering floorboards, was alive. And then the floorboards gave in. All at once, every five of my senses was flooded with something ungodly. Under me, I could feel wet mud and the unmistakable undulating of earthworms working their way through it all. The smell was something I can only describe as wet and earthy, but in the least pleasant way. As the worms worked their way through the coarse dirt, I swear I could hear them eating and slithering the entire time as they were only inches from my ear. And as I tried over and over to pull myself back up into the room, to no avail... The dirt under me continued giving away at the slightest bit of weight, and despite my fight to stop it, my arms, all the way up to my armpits, were being covered in mud and worms and were making their way up my arm, trying to dig into them like I was part of the soil that trapped me. I shouldn't have left my coat at that front desk, I thought, deciding I'd have a better chance if I just stood up and rolled over onto my stomach, trying and failing to keep it from my mouth can't tell you how many worms I spit out while I was stuck in there. It was really too dark to see, aside from the light coming from the hole I'd fallen through. Finally, I managed to stand, and while I was up on my knees in a bed of worms and dirt, I managed to throw my arms over the hole and begin pulling myself up as hard as I could. I pulled and pulled and yanked, reaching for anything that could offer me some leverage, and just as I felt my waist begin to loosen, something wrapped around my ankle. It was slimy and slid across my bare skin with little hesitance. My first thought was another worm, but as it continued up my calf and even into my thigh, I became aware it was far thicker and more calculated than any worm ever was. Is it a snake? I thought. But no sooner did that thought leave my body than I feel it wrap itself around my waist and ever so gently begin tugging downward. What the fuck is this? I screamed out, hoping anyone out there would hear me. Can someone please come help me? I think there's a snake in here. The more I screamed, the more I wiggled, the harder it gripped me and the faster it pulled me down. Before I knew it, the soil was past my belly button, then my chest, my neck. I took one last deep breath, fully expecting it to be my last. The world around me went black. My ears picked up on no sound, and the only taste in my mouth was copper. I would somehow managed to bite through my lip through the whole debacle, but what was really worrying me was the burning in my chest. The ever-present need to breathe was nagging at me, but I knew that weight on my chest was the dirt, and the worms just pushing back with thousands of pounds of force. This was it. I was going to die in some shitty haunted house attraction that no one even knew about. I was on the brink of passing out. I felt a small amount of pressure release from my feet and in my legs. With a little more effort, I found that I could move them. Not knowing what else to do, I began kicking them around wildly, using the last bit of life I had in me, just hoping that I'd come out the other side, somewhere where I could escape, call for help, and forget this nightmare. I shook and shook until finally... Pop. I came crashing down from the hole and down onto something hard and unforgiving a sharp hot pain shot up the arch of my foot into my leg and I knew immediately it was sprained I tried to scream out but instead I found myself sucking in as much air as my lungs could hold I rolled over onto my back steadying my breathing thinking to myself what the fuck was that once I managed to get my breathing to be steady I really took in the room I was in now. It was at this moment I started to understand that this haunted house was something much, much more. The ceiling which I'd fallen through was perfect. There was no hole, no crack, nothing. Nothing but a ceiling light. Looking back down at the ground around me, there were no worms, no dirt. Thankfully, nothing that resembled a snake. It was it was the same room I'd just been in. The door I came through the first time was right behind me, and turning back around I found that same chair, the one I'd fallen out of, was sitting in front of me like a schoolyard bully. I felt like it was taunting me, telling me to sit in it and try again, but I knew better. Whatever this place was, they'd definitely taken their time to make it a unique experience. Annoyed and admittedly terrified, I kicked the chair over and turned to go back out the door I'd come in. But when I turned around, the door had no handle, and there was a large one painted on it in black. I walked over, slowly expecting a shitty jump scare, but no one ever came. Now at the door, I softly pushed against it, but it wouldn't budge. I looked at the top, but there was no gap between it and the door frame. Same with the bottom. That's when I noticed its sides. There were no hinges on it either. For all intents and purposes, this door was just another part of the wall. The idea of calling out for someone seemed pointless at this point, so I just turned around and... There was another door. How? I thought. There was no way this was hidden beforehand. I walked over to it, taking my time again as I was still anticipating something, though I'm not sure what. The door was different than the one I'd went through first. Instead of a light wood, it was much darker, with a shiny gold knob that reflected myself back at me in a distorted and stretched fashion. Above the knob was a keyhole. I knew what it meant, but I tried the door anyway. It jiggled a little, but of course it was locked from the other side. I'll have to find it in here. My thought was interrupted when I turned around to find that the room had changed again. This time the chair was gone. Hell, the whole room was gone. I found myself standing in the hallway of a hotel I didn't recognize. A quick look behind me showed that the door with the two on it was now just a maintenance closet. Inside was cleaning supplies, mops, brooms, and rags, everything you'd expect to find. With no better idea in mind, I started walking toward the other end of the hall where I saw the elevator. Worst case scenario, I just had a nightmare and was sleepwalking. That wouldn't explain why I was in a hotel, though. One thing at a time, I thought. With a plan in mind, I began jogging as best I could toward the elevator. Each step sent a sharp pain through my ankle, but I fought it all the way down the hall and made it to the door. I rested my head against it, sweat now building on my brow, and took a deep breath while pressing the call button. It dinged and then opened before me. The relief I felt in that moment was indescribable, but it was immediately shot down when I looked back up as I stepped through the threshold. The elevator doors closed behind me, and in front of me was a brown door. Quickly turning back around with a plan to pry open the elevator doors, I was even more shocked to find that they were gone now, too. They were replaced with a wall of shelves filled with cleaning supplies, rags, and paper towels. There's no way this was happening, right? Everything around me was changing constantly. My heart rate picked up as I did the only thing I could do. I walked through the brown door and was met with the same hallway as before and the same elevator door at the end of it. Except this time, it was a little different. Each hotel room door was wide open, and naked mannequins stood half in, half out. Part of them in the hallway, part of them in their rooms. I hated those things. They seemed to follow you everywhere you went while you were shopping, but now I noticed. They were following me. Taking my time to make it through the hallway, I heard the squeaking of plastic on plastic as the heads turned to follow me as I went. The bodies never moved, just the heads. Halfway down the hall, I now noticed one of the mannequins had something hanging from their neck. A lanyard with a strange key. As I inched closer, the mannequin's head followed me as I did, and as I saw it was a specialty key, something akin to a key used to start heavy machinery, or... the key to an elevator that was stuck on one floor. I knew what I had to do, but everything in me was telling me not to. Hands trembling, I grabbed both sides of the lanyard, my plan to lift it over the head of the mannequin who, even without eyes, was staring deeply into my very being. As soon as the tattered brown rope that held the key left the mannequin's neck, its plastic hand shot to my forearm and gripped it tightly. I tried pulling away, certain that I could, but the grip was far too strong. I tugged and tugged on the rope, pushed the mannequin against the doorframe, leading us to both fall to the floor and causing its grasp on me to finally break. I put all of my strength into the final tug, and the rope came free, bringing the mannequin's head with it. It flew into the air, landing some feet behind me. It was then I noticed all the mannequins were moving now, and they were coming straight for me. Their movements were much more rigid and less fluid than the one that held the key. It was like watching a bad stop-motion animation in real life. They were jerky and harsh in their movement, and they were fast. With the elevator key in hand, I ran to the door, smashing the call button with my palm, and their footsteps grew louder behind me. Closer and closer they came until finally the elevator dinged and I fell in, not realizing I'd been leaning into the door. I got up quickly, shoved the key into the hole, and pressed the only button I saw. A button for floor three. The elevator door closed just moments before one of the creatures made their way into the small space with me. They banged on the door as the elevator slowly took me up, but soon it stopped as I became out of reach. Finally, that nightmare was over. But I wasn't sure I was prepared for what else this living hell had in store for me. The elevator came to a stop and opened out to a room a little bigger than the one I'd seen back in room one and the beginning of room two. Walls were different as well. They were covered in some very old and tacky floral wallpaper that looked to be straight out of the fifties. It was peeling off in some places, exposing the yellowed adhesive behind it. And far into the room there was, as I'd come to expect, a door. And this time it was a large 4 painted in front of it. I walked over and as I reached for the knob I felt a sharp pain in the fatty part of my palm. Yanking my hand away I tried to investigate it further. For a second I couldn't see anything. And then I noticed small drops of blood on the floor. Looking to my hand I saw two pinprick points where blood was slowly trickling out. A snake bite? No sooner did the thought leave my mind, did I hear that unmistakable hiss. It sounded big. The hiss had more weight to it than the snakes I'd seen my dad deal with in the past. They were mostly garter snakes, and they were dealt with easily, whatever was behind me. I knew it was going to be much worse. Out of pure desperation, I tried the door again, only to be met with the same twinge of pain in my palm. Looking closer to the keyhole, I saw a small forked tongue slither out of it. I stumbled back out of shock and bumped into something so stiff and sturdy I'd thought the room had closed in. But as I stood there, I started feeling the writhing and swelling of some ungodly mass behind me. Holding my breath, I reached a hand back and let it grace the being behind me for a split second before I threw myself to the wall ahead of me, nearly crashing through the locked door. I knew what it was. I just didn't want to face it. And then Jazz came to mind. I thought about how if I made it through this, I could maybe see her again. I could maybe hold her again. Tell her I love her again. Maybe. Was all this torment worth it? I thought about it in my head in a matter of seconds that passed like hours before deciding that yes, this was worth it. I have to do it for Jazz. When I finally turned to face this thing, my mind didn't want to comprehend it. In front of me stood a mass of snakes, all shapes and sizes and colors that had taken the shape of a cobra. The mound towered above me, just barely gracing the ceiling at its highest point. Its mouth opened wide, showing off row upon row of jagged, serrated teeth that dripped something inky and viscous, and deep in the back of its throat hung a skeleton key. I was frozen in place as it slowly lowered itself to my eye level and just stared at me, opening and closing its mouth. The mass of snakes on the floor began wrapping themselves around my legs, and when I heard my knee pop, my body went into fight-or-flight mode. I screamed out in pain and began clawing and punching at the mounds of snakes wrapped around my ankles. I scratched and clawed so hard my nails bent backwards, broke, and bled as the nail bed became exposed. By the handful, I threw snakes to the other side of the room, their noodle-like bodies slam against the wallpaper before falling to the ground and coming back toward the mass that was surrounding me. The head of this monstrosity still sat just inches away from me, its tongue, made up of other smaller tongues, caressed my face slightly, sending goosebumps throughout my entire body. I think my body reacted before my brain could even comprehend what was happening. My hand went flying up toward the tongues, grabbing a handful, and began yanking them down and out of the mass of scales and venom. The snakes all hissed. The mouths closed down around my arm. Thousands of needlepoint teeth stabbed into my arm over and over as the mouth continued opening and closing, but each time it did, my hand got closer and closer to the key in its throat. Using the other hand, I pulled more snakes from the face of the beast, throwing them this way and that, until I finally felt the eroded metal of that key. My body was getting weaker, though. The venom that had been dripping from their teeth coursed its way through me as I yanked as hard as I could on the key until finally, with a disgusting squelch and rip, the key flew out, landing near the fourth door. The snakes dropped me, making me hit my head hard as I met the floor. My body was screaming in protest of every movement. The monster was screaming in pain behind me, but I crawled my way over to the door. I pulled myself up, jammed the key into the lock, turned it, and heard it click as it disengaged. Turning the knob, my legs gave in as I fell through the threshold and out onto the soft grass on the other side. With what little strength I had left, I kicked the door to room three shut, and then the blue sky above me faded to black as my body and mind caved in once again. When I came to, I was staring up into the sky. Heavy clouds hung over, blocking out the sun, and a light wind blew sending a chilling breeze my way. I had no idea how long I'd been in that house or how I even managed to get out, but I was ecstatic to see the outside world again. I rubbed my eyes until I saw colors in an attempt to wipe away what I'd seen, but there was no use. My only choice, I decided, was to just go back home. Go home and give up on this cat-and-mouse chase that was likely leading me nowhere. I sat up expecting to see the house the door I came out of. Instead, I saw a cemetery. Now, I didn't know this side of town too well, and I was almost certain I didn't see a cemetery when driving in, or before I went into this house. Maybe it was behind the house, I thought. With nothing much more to go on, I slowly made my way over to the group, standing over the casket. As I got closer... I could hear a priest reading from a Bible and the soft whimpers of those who'd lost someone. I was sure I looked a mess, and interrupting a funeral had to be a sin somewhere, but I felt like I had no other choice. The first person I tried to get the attention of was an older man, most likely mid-fifties. From the back, curly white hairs poked down from his dark hat, and he was wearing a suit that was far too big couldn't help but think this was likely something he'd done more than a few times in his life. I tapped him on the shoulder. Excuse me, sir? He turned to me slowly. I was expecting kind, caring eyes, grayed with age. Something not so different than what I'd come to know from my grandparents, but when he turned... This nightmare isn't over, I thought. The man's face looked like it had been contorted and stretched like silly putty. He was frowning, but it was so comically large I almost mistook it for a Halloween mask. Tears continually poured out of his eyes, which, instead of soft and comforting, were instead bloodshot and bulging out of his face. I stumbled back, nearly falling, only to be caught by someone. Looking up to see what it was, I was met with the face of a woman who wore the same grotesque frown and bulging eyes. Pushing her off to me, I got to my feet and tried to run, only to be stopped by a group that stood over a hole in the ground. Behind them, the coffin was being lowered. All at once, they began reading a verse from the Bible in a tone so void of life and inflection, it was like they were robots. They crowded around me, chanting the verse over and over. My brain couldn't take it much longer. My head was pounding. My heart rate quickened. Sweat cascaded down every inch of my body until a new voice broke through. One that seemed to overpower the dozens that berated me now. It was Jazz's voice. There was no mistaking it. She screamed out to me, Get in! Get in! You have to get in! I knew what she was saying, but I hated it. I needed to see who was in that coffin, and I needed to take their place. There was no other way. With my sense of direction completely shattered, I just pushed as hard as I could in one direction. I pushed past many older men and women, some children, the priest, all of them, grabbing and pulling at me with rotting, decaying hands. Hands that were missing fingernails, or whole fingers at some point. With one final push, I sent a large group to the ground and I was finally standing above the freshly dug hole in the ground. The coffin was... beautifully intricate. Even with the chanting monsters behind me, I couldn't help but appreciate it. It was made of stained glass and bore an incredibly complex mosaic pattern of hundreds of colors. As I continued to look through... I noticed it. Deep in the mosaic was a number. Five. It was just another fucking door. With the chanting behind me getting louder, I tried to slowly shimmy my way down so I could open the casket. There was just enough room on either side for me to basically straddle the bottom half and open the top half. With a loud squeal, The top half opened, revealing. Me. My face had paled slightly, giving it an even snowier appearance than usual. Dark bags accompanied my eyes, and my lips wore a deep indigo. I felt myself crying over myself as I sat there. Every time I think I'm done, I get thrown into some other waking nightmare. All I wanted was Jazz. I wanted her, and I wanted her to go home, and I wanted us to be together and be happy again. Sadness turned into anger as I slammed the coffin shut before bringing my fist down on it. I heard a small crack, and a sharp pain went through my hand. Again and again and again, I slammed my fist in the mosaic on that coffin, blood coming up with every hit now, until finally it shattered into little pieces. The pieces fell to my double's face, but the ground beneath us fell as well. I was weightless for a moment, just floating in a void until I came to a sudden stop in a new room. I landed on my feet something very solid underneath them, much more solid than the floorboards of the house and the grounds at the cemetery. I collected myself and looked around the room to find myself in a large greenhouse, though large doesn't do it justice. In every direction, it stretched far out of my vision. All around me were plants and vines, the lengths of which I'd never seen before. They towered up the walls, Some of them hung from the ceiling so long, they nearly touched the floor. There were rows upon rows of these plants, and on any other day, I would have assumed I'd walked into the garden section of a Lowe's. But nowhere else to go, I just began walking forward, hoping to find something leading out of there. I'd been walking for at least two hours, my feet begging me to stop. The only sound that accompanied me in this room were the light chirps of birds, though I saw none, and the occasional sound of a second set of footsteps. Given the size of this place, I thought it was just my footsteps echoing, but there were times when I heard the sound when I was completely still. I knew that there was someone else here with me. I just hoped they would actually help me. Another two hours passed, indicated by the setting sun outside, and I was on the brink of passing out again when someone called out to me. Sammy, baby, are you okay? I can't be real, I thought. It was Jazz's voice without a doubt. A hand grabbed my shoulder, shocking me and causing me to lurch forward. A short giggle came from the person. Why are you scared, Sammy? I'm right here. Come on, get up. Let's go home. I looked up. It was Jazz. She was there, speaking to me, touching me even, but... Something was off about her. I stood up, trying not to show her that I was suspicious, fighting off the urge to push this imposter away and just run until I couldn't anymore. I instead pulled her into a tight embrace, telling her how much I missed her, needed her, and just wanted her to come home. We pulled away from each other, but my hand rested at her hips, and hers rested on my shoulders, the same way we'd held each other at our wedding moments before we shared our wedding kiss. I know it isn't you, I choked out. It was hard to say, but through tears, I continued. This isn't jazz. It's just some fucking trick this place is pulling to try and make me lose my mind. I pulled away and started running when her eyes began welling up with tears of her own. I yelled out, I'm sorry, as I continued down the hall. I noticed now the flowers and vines were beginning to droop, become discolored, and some outright turned to ash and fell to the floor. I made it no more than ten feet before Jazz called out. Your birthmark. I froze. The one under your hair? Just above your right ear. Only I and your parents know it's there. I instinctively rubbed the spot she was talking about. I didn't know about it until you wrecked the car back in 2018. You were in the hospital for weeks. They had to shave your head to get the staples in. You almost died, Sammy. And I was there for you the whole time. I could hear her voice beginning to crack. I need you to be here for me now. I need you to come back so we can get out of here together. I couldn't help but feel guilty. Turning around, I saw her standing there, tears pouring from her eyes and falling to the floor. With every splash, the guilt piled on more and more until it was too much. I ran over to her, scooped her up in my arms, saying, I'm sorry, over and over again. I squeezed her tight until I could feel her heartbeat sinking with mine. I thought to myself, this is it. I finally have her back and we can... You stupid, stupid girl. My heart all but stopped. You're so easily fooled by emotions. You and every other human that stepped into this place. Her grip on me tightened to the point of pain. The thing is, she continued, you're far more resilient than the others who've come through. Somehow, you're not broken. We can't have that. She pulled away and I saw her face for what it really was. The entire right side of it was covered in deep, craters that pulsated in a nauseating way some of them went so deep I saw right through her cheek to the teeth in her mouth which were nearly falling out from rot I pushed her away her right arm coming off as I did her entire body was decaying and more deep holes appeared on her body but she continued to call out you've been here too long Sammy so now we have no choice Suddenly she was behind me, grabbing my head, pulling me down to the ground. She sat on my chest, her only arm pinning my neck to the concrete floor as she leaned in to speak. Her breath was putrid. Her words slurred as she spoke with only half a tongue, and drops of yellow-brown pus dripped from the holes in her eye, landing on my face and eating through me like acid. I tried screaming, but my airway was being crushed by the weight of this monster. Look into my eyes, she yelled. Look and see what Jazz saw the night she died. At that moment, I was somewhere new. Somewhere I only vaguely recognized. It was Jacob's house. It was the night of Halloween. It was outside, but I could hear party music coming from the house, and I knew where I was. This was the night Jazz was killed. I was looking through her eyes. It was cold, she was shivering, and I could tell by the way everything was swaying back and forth, she drank far too much. Her phone wasn't getting service, and she was desperate, so when someone dressed as a gladiator came up to her and offered her a ride home, I could see why she was so trusting. Tried like hell to make out his face, but it was impossible. All of his features had been warped or distorted to a point of being unrecognizable. Even his voice only came through as static. They both got into the car, their conversation impossible to understand. Minutes passed before the man pulled over to a secluded area, void of street lights, people, void of anything. There was more static, indicating an exchange of words, before the man reached the cross and grabbed Jazz's thigh. She pushed his hand off of him, but he was persistent. He reached over the middle console to grab her face and kissed her, grabbed at her chest, attempted to grab her leg, but again, Jazz, despite her impaired state, managed to send one finger deep into his eye. His scream came in the form of a high-pitched white noise, but slowly it faded as I saw Jazz leave the car and begin running on foot. Even though I knew what was going to happen, I held out hope that she'd made it out alive. Of course she didn't. As the man brought down a knife into her back, another high-pitched squeal sounded off, this time from Jazz. She fell to the ground defenseless. As he climbed on top of her just to bring the knife down one, two, three, four, five more times. And I felt every single one. Suddenly I was back on the concrete floor. That weight was still on my chest and windpipe, but the person on top of me was new face of jazz had been replaced with the face of a man, not much older than me. Half his face was falling off as he spoke. She deserved what she got, that fucking bitch. The fear that had been welling up inside me boiled over and transformed into anger. I took my hand from the arm, pushing down my throat, and did the only thing I knew to do. I shoved my thumb deep into this monster's eyes. It wailed out in pain and tried to pull away, but I held strong, sending my thumb deeper and deeper until I was sure I could feel its brain and then went even deeper. I tried my best not to gag as pus and ichor poured from the holes of its face and eye sockets, landing on my face, burning me as it did. He writhed around on his back, grabbing at his eye that was no longer there. With one final bout of strength, I brought my foot down on his head. It crunched and squelched as brain matter, blood, and pus shot out every angle. The screaming stopped. Everything stopped. I fell to my knees, letting every bit of emotion I had in me release. I cried, I screamed, I clawed at the air, searching for anything that made sense. Looking at the end of the aisle, I saw it. It was another door, though it had no number on it. It was slightly ajar with a bright, warm light seeping in from the crack. Hesitant doesn't begin to describe my feelings in that moment, but I knew it was the only way. I pulled the door open. It was bathed in a blinding light, and then... Samantha? Samantha, honey, can you hear us? "'Mom?' Slowly my eyes opened and the same light greeted me. I blinked a few times to try and adjust it until finally everything came into view. I was in a hospital. My parents were standing over me, now crying because I'd woken up. My entire body ached, but we shared a hug to the best of our ability before they explained everything. They'd gotten a call from the hospital saying that I'd been admitted that morning following a report of a body being seen on the ground of a vacant lot. What someone thought was a dead body was actually me. I was brought in, treated for various things, broken ankle, arms, snake bites, and the strangest of all, chemical burns. I hated to believe it, but everything I'd been through, it was real. My parents sat with me for some time before Detective Reed showed up and asked to speak to me privately. He sat down with a deep sigh and said, You went looking, didn't you? I just cried, the tears burning my face as they rolled down my cheek. I had to. I choked out, and I could tell by the look in his eyes that he truly felt for me in the moment. He was an older man, I was sure he knew what loss felt like and could recognize it on anyone. We talked about what happened for hours, but it's hard to tell if he believed me or not. He continued saying over and over, You're probably just in shock and can't comprehend what took place. Give it some time. He stood up to leave, and though I felt more defeated than when he'd first come in, I kept a hopeful tone when I said, I think I know who killed Jazz. Or at least I have an idea. Stopping at the door, he turned to me. Oh, what's that? It would be a guy in a gladiator costume at the party the night Jazz was killed. I, I don't know how easy it'll be, getting names and things, but... Just trust me on this. He sighed again. You're right. It'll be difficult. I'm not sure many of those kids were sober that night, so I'm sure (laughs) their memory's hazy, but... I'll see what I can do. He smiled, and I smiled back. I knew it was a stretch, but I still held out hope. That until he closed the door behind them as they left, and revealed a large seven, scrawled across it, in black paint.